Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Levity, levity, donks. You know what it is. It's Friday. Ain't got shit to do. Might as well live it up with us. Morning Combat back deep in your face hole. Orange background, BC at the controls, the beige one from CBS Sports. Brian Campbell, happy to be with you on this Friday, February 5th of the 2021. Uh, yeah, we're back. And the guy next to me is, uh, he's incredible, right? He's the, the statue to my Tory. The, oh God, the, wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. How do you, really? How do, you, how do you follow that one? Uh, he works for CBS Sports, uh, the bearded wonder, Luke Thomas. Luke, how is it? Uh, you know, I was telling you this before the show. I slept great last night, which was uh, hard to believe, even to the point where I had a nightmare. Not a terrible nightmare, but a nightmare. But I don't even care because the sleep was so deep. I can remember parts of the, the tales. I always say, if you can remember your dreams, that's when you know it was a little bit deeper, and I'm like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take a nightmare that I can remember over, you know, another <laughs> night of five hours sleep with my daughter kicking me in the face all morning. So, yeah, I'm I, good. I did see happiness in your eyes. I have not seen you that excited, Luke, since Dustin Poirier stopped Conor McGregor, and hopefully, crossing our fingers, that the MK cameras picked up that moment when it when when you released. That, but that wasn't like but that wasn't that was happiness for the history of the moment not yes. happiness no no yeah. you you reacted to sports i'm not saying you're a connor yes. hater or a yeah, dustin yeah. No, no, no. you know dustin bader but, but you you're are, right i was yeah. like i was uh, i'm not i'm not as uh i'm not as uh animated as i was then but i will say jesus man there is nothing like a good night of sleep to completely yeah. set you in the right course for the day especially when you're old and pathetic like i am at 41 years of age Indeed, indeed. I'm 42 right along with you. But uh, look, we got a great show for you today. Setting the stage for a great UFC fight night card this Saturday night in Las Vegas. We're going to go dead wrong, pick up the pieces of what we missed this week. Uh, you know, touch tips. We got we, we got some fun stuff for you today. A bunch of headlines coming at you. A little bit of business as always, though. Like this video. Please subscribe to it and go that extra mile and tell your friends. Remember all those gross things you would exchange in college to co-eds? Back and forth, spreading it around like wildfire. Make MK your next, uh, you know... I don't know. What were you into? VD? Let's make MK on that level, okay? Let's get everybody else involved. It's a big enough train. It's a party. Uh, you're all invited, all right? Let's do this thing. Also, please support our merch at store.show.com. You and your abuela can be outfitted in these fine MK products. Get yourself a tumbler. Luke Thomas, big fan of the green hoodie. So is my wife, Luke, okay? It is what it is. You know what I mean? That My dad's drinking out of the coffee mug. Also, uh, why don't you try 30 Days of Showtime? For free, please go to Showtime.com. So here's the deal. A uh, lot of big combat sports stuff coming. Showtime boxing schedule has not been announced for 2021. You know there's going to be some big ones coming your way. You're going to get the movies, the docs. Luke, I am watching this four-part documentary series from 2018, Action on the Sports Betting Business. Have you seen that, Luke? Mm -mm. I've, I've, I have started DVRing. My wife and I plan to start uh, at the – you know, we obviously have some uh, – some work stuff coming up, but after that's over, the new show with uh, the guy from fucking the Walter White from Breaking Bad, Brian yes, Cranston, yes. his new show, Your Honor. We've started DVRing Your Honor. I'm gonna start checking that out. Well, Luke, let me tell you this about action real quick on the Showtime app. You can get it 30 days for free. Uh, holy crap, Luke! It's it's not quite as absurd as Tiger King, but the 
the character profiles of some of these uh, Vegas-based sports betting uh, lifers is very interesting, Luke. Never has a documentary happened where the first hour, I could not wait to get re-addicted to, to uh, gambling, and the second hour, I realized I never needed to make another bet again. So, shout out right. to the uh, makers of that one, indeed. Uh, Luke, anything else you want to pawn, say, get excited about before we dip into the headlines here? As always, be sure to check out Storytime with Rashad. We saw the Dustin Poirier interview. If you haven't seen it, it's not on our channel, but it is worth checking out Dustin Poirier on Hot Ones, the celebrated YouTube show that became something of a sensation. He was on yesterday. Um, Shout-outs to the folks from Heartbeat Hot Sauce Company that sent me a complimentary bottle of this and then 10 of their other things. Um, they make they make quality products, bro. Everything they make is excellent. So, yeah, man, that's it. Good stuff. All right. All right, great stuff. Uh, we got Gaff on the ones and twos today. The great Gaff Pierre. Shout out to Showtime and Malcolm, CBS Sports, and all. But it's time to get into it. Here we go. Let's set the table. Las Vegas this weekend. UFC fight night. And you know, it's a, it's a pretty damn good one here mm-hmm. on ESPN+. Plus. Headlined by heavyweights. Alistair Overeem against a slight betting favorite, Alexander Volkov. Luke, we set the stage earlier this week. For the storylines, the potential of an outside of a title shot for the winner of both here and their future plans and all things Overeem's legacy. But let's now get into this matchup. Alexander Volkov, just a slight favorite coming in. Does that surprise you? Is that the right call, all things considered? I mean, I think it surprises me a little bit, but the skepticism around Overeem is somewhat warranted. He's 41 years of age. He's... But I have to say, we haven't talked about this. It deserves to be noted. There was a press conference yesterday for the folks who are at the attendance at the UFC Apex, and they spoke to, I think, the main and the co-main guys who are on this card. And Overeem, man, you want to talk about a guy at the end of his career and knows it and doesn't really have a problem talking about it. There are so many times when you try to talk to an athlete from the media's perspective where bringing up retirement, it gets you know a little bit weird, and you know they don't want to talk about it. They, they think they're nowhere close. I've got five years left. You're like, dude, you don't have five months left much less five years. Overeem seems to me to very much understand this is the end of the road. Uh, maybe not so much this weekend, but it's it's pretty close. If he loses on Saturday, I suspect that that might be it, but we'll have to see. Still, he, he doesn't have any problems talking about it. He's like, listen, it all comes to an end. I had a great run. I want to see if I can make one, one last push of it. And if not, I'm going to call today. I really appreciate that from him. Now, to your question, I think that might factor in a little bit. You know, Volkov has been surging despite, you know, the fact that he lost the Curtis Blades fight. And so, you know, he's tall. He's, he's uh, durable. Uh, even in the Derek Lewis fight, he was winning up until, you know, Lewis kind of hit the helm area. Like, he's pretty good at this point. And what's interesting is it's the the thing I think that might be working against Overeem BC is that you've got two guys with a similar reach, 80-inch reach. Volkov a little bit taller, but Volkov likes to operate at the end of his range given his height. You're in the small cage, and Overeem likes to be way outside. That's going to be really hard to do against a guy like Volkov if you don't go for takedowns. Now, Overeem does a little bit. He averages about one and a half takedowns per 15 minutes. So I do expect that will be a role to play, but the crowded space here, Overeem's going to have to be all the way out or all the way in on the inside of the range of Volkov. And that's going to be, I think, at least at first, um, very tricky. And so with youth and those factors, BC, I, I sort of understand it. 
Yeah, I like the way you sort of set that up, where mid-range is the killer. That's where Volkov owns you. You stay too far on the outside, it's going to be hard to score consistently and, and demonstrably win. I think we may have to see a return of the Overeem of old, even though we've talked so much about this recent resurgence in a lot of ways, Luke, is is just going back to the drawing board and grinding and, you know, improving the ground game a la a similarly old Glover Teixeira. And, you know, you would think, look... Volkov, if there's a weakness, it is the ground game. It may be hard to take him down, but you can hold him down. You can have success like Curtis Blades had for a while. Uh, that is certainly a strategy that would make sense here. Overeem just had success against Sakai with that. But it is a taxing strategy, as we saw with the most recent Curtis Blades fight. I'm wondering, Luke, if Overeem looks at the lay of the land, and I don't think we give Volkov really enough credit. You know, 32 years old really has evolved into a very credible and dangerous threat. Seems to have to fight the fight on his terms to have the most success, even though, again, I did like the way he rallied late against Blades and showed us a really tough fighting spirit. But this guy's very good at what he does, and he minimizes the things he's not so good about and really doubles down on his strengths and can really control range and hurt you over time with, with strong, accurate blows. Will we see a little bit of the Demolition Man come back? You mentioned all in or all out. If he goes all in and tries to work this from the clinch, that's where I see Alistair having success. And I don't think it'd be as taxing as the ground game, even though ideally, Luke, it's not all or nothing. Ideally, you'd like to balance. You'd like to shoot a few times. But could we see the high knees that killed a few guys back in the day? Yeah, I think you might have to uh, because Volkov is, he's got, I mean, listen to some of these numbers. He strikes landed per minute 4.76, strikes absorb per minute 2.53. Those are elite numbers, man. I mean, I look at these numbers for championship fighters all the time. That is very, very good. You know, obviously he's competing in the heavyweight division. He's not fighting or defending a title against the very best of that division, but he's not fighting chumps necessarily either. Those are great numbers. I mean, you're almost two to one on landed versus absorbed, and you're absorbed as sub three. Those are very, very elite numbers, dude. He he lands a lot. He, he doesn't have a high pace, but he doesn't need to. Like, he opens up the door and then kind of runs through it afterwards. He doesn't take a lot of damage. So to me, Overeem... You know, you mentioned he has to kind of borrow a little bit of that Curtis Blades' playbook. To me, what I need to see him, to, to your point, is mix it up. But also, once you go for the takedown, I really need to see him. you got to pass a little bit. Blades was sitting in his guard, which I, he didn't really have an answer for passing. you got to pass a little bit, at least a half, if not side. And, you know, you got to force that guy to scramble a little bit. And then from there, Overeem, dude, people don't talk about this because he doesn't use it that much. He's got good ground and pound. He's got really – I mean, yeah, look at what we did to Walt Harris to an extent. He can yeah, hammer he these folks. So he's going to need to use the wider array of skills I think he has over Volkov. That's the one thing that gives him a little bit of the edge because at range, in that tiny-ass little cage, Volkov's going to be hard to beat. Not dissimilar to you, first thing you do when you when you slide into bed, Luke, is uh, look to pass, but gas, and then you know work that ground game and form the Dutch oven around you know around the. No, uh, it's the fast gas, and then just sort of delight in my own uh, grossness and then relax. I look for yeah. the stool after that, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, stool indeed. Uh, Luke, does it benefit anyone being a main event here? The potential for going five rounds. You would imagine in either case you're you're. No, I mean, these guys are experienced veterans. They don't need any like, oh, how does he look over the course of five? Like, nah, get them the fuck out of there if they can. 
So here's the divide here when I when I look at this fight. Even though Overeem's the underdog, I like him. I like the streak he's on. I like the IQ that he's working with right now. I like the idea, Luke, of him announcing this is my final chance. This is my final shot at it. Uh, you know, you can argue, well, you got one a foot half in, half out. No, I like when a veteran, a, a savvy veteran goes, this is it. I'm filling up the jar one more time, and I'm going to pour it out. So here's what I'm going to need of Overeem to make this happen. I'm going to need him to be a little bit more willing than of late to pour out that jar. A balance, you got to toe the line, no doubt, because the more Overeem lets his hands go, the more he can get caught. And, you know, he's in a spot in his career. He's been knocked out a bunch of times. He can get caught. There's no doubt. That's why his recent turnaround where efficiency and, and you know, management of risk has been just as important as management of distance. But I need him, Luke, to go for the knockout here and not the decision to uh, to pass this very difficult and dangerous test that can only get him closer to his goal of, of fighting for that title one more time. I need to let him, let, I need him to go in there looking to get that spectacular win. Yeah, and by the way, the folks, uh, Richard Mann over at uh, Fightmetric put out a uh, piece. He has a newsletter called Fight Forecast. I always read it because you always get a little something out of it every single time. He noted that Overeem has one of the highest rates of being knocked down of anyone in UFC. Yet, uh, for all the folks who are near him in terms of the, who get knocked down as much, they all have terrible losing percentages after it. He does not. He has a very unique ability to rally. Now, the, the Rosenstruck fight, notwithstanding, but again, that one he was winning, you know, four rounds and uh, nearly all of the fifth. So if, if you see him get knocked down, that isn't necessarily an indication that this fight is over. could be far from it. It's an, it's yeah, same a, for a, the Walt Harris fight, right? He got, yeah, he got kind totally. of owned early on. Exactly, yeah, same thing. Uh, so I like Overeem, but I'm going to need him to let it go. I I'm excited. I'm get the more I watch the interviews this week, the more I think about this from a you know X's and O's standpoint. This should be a good one. No shortage of what at stake. But Luke, it's the co-main event that we really care about, right? It, it, you know what I mean? That that the that the fans care about, high and large, cash and filthy or hardcore. Luke, it is a bantamweight test. Corey San Co Cody Corey Corey Sanhagen, our our fellow there, and the great Frankie Edgar. Uh, yeah, kind of a quasi number one contender bout as we talked about earlier this week, Luke. But X's and O's wise, obviously Sanhagen's got youth, he's got length, he's got variety, he's got about a minus 400 favorite on the betting side coming in. How does Frankie Edgar do this, Luke? We saw him push it against Pedro Munoz in a split decision win, and he poured out more than we thought he had left. I love that man. You have a question, Frankie Edgar's the answer. But this equation is tough as balls, Luke. So, I'm going to make this very clear to everybody. Because this is true of Frankie Edgar fights generally. And this will be true about this fight specifically. Which is, Frankie Edgar is a very good striker. But the key, the magic to his striking, is when he can make the takedowns and a real credible threat of the takedown itself part of his striking arsenal when he can fake low hands come down and he can come over the top and then exit at an angle or you know he's got a variety of setups from there or taking someone down holding them down and pounding on them whatever the case it's the combination of the two you have seen in fights where he cannot get the takedown like max holloway like josie Al jose aldo he's a lot easier to read he waves in and out of range like this until he lines up his right and then he makes some kind of a blitz or a move into space and the guys who are really good at the top of that division, they can all read it coming a mile away at that point. It's when he can fake the takedown or get the takedown, that's when things get really good for him. So, 
Number one, he's going to have to establish the takedown. He only got two of them against Pedro Munoz and was numerically outstruck, which made some of the decision there a little bit questionable. But, you know, I thought he performed well, generally speaking. Here's where it gets interesting against Corey Sandhagen. Now, this number is a little bit misleading because the way in which Sandhagen fights allows him to be taken down where Sandhagen may not care because he can just pop right back up. So this is somewhat overstated, but... Corey Sandhagen's takedown defense percentage. For elite fighters, you're usually well above 60, well above 70, usually around high 70s, maybe 80s range. Corey Sandhagen's takedown defense is 30%. 30%. Uh, I'll tell you this much. If you're getting taken down seven out of every 10 attempts from Frankie Edgar, you're not going to win. It's just not going to happen. Even if you get back up right away, he's going to have enough of a rhythm going to set up the rest of the pieces of his offense. So... The key for Sandhagen is if you get taken down, yes, you have to get back up. But more to the point, you have to eliminate that, basically. You cannot let him have that as a part of the arsenal. That really, to me, BC, more than anything else. Oh, Frankie's age, the switch hitting of Sandhagen, and blah, blah. All of that shit means nothing to me. What really matters is can he get the takedown or at least establish a threat consistently over time? If he can, he wins. If he can't, it's over. That's it. I love that. I love that. It's a very smart breakdown. I think in fa- in Frankie's favor, and obviously there's not, you know, it's it's, t- it's a tough fight for him. That's why you see the odds the way they are. But in his favor, I like that this fight's happening at bantamweight. Or when I say this fight, I mean this type of tough challenge for Edgar this late in his career. Again, against a bigger guy with a lot of ways to beat you, uh, because Edgar's proven, and you know, through a very short window here at bantamweight, that he's big. His power certainly has, you know, is going to have more of an impact here. This is going to be very interesting, Luke. Look, he may win or lose based on what you're saying about takedowns, but when this gets into striking, when we see the meat of this bout, I want to see where Frankie's activity, where his quick hands, where his boxing can really have, if it can have a type of effect on, could he slow Sandhagen down? Because I know it was a different fight in different circumstances, different weight class, but Brian Ortega did somewhat surprising things to Frankie Edgar and finished him early. And you're like, okay, that's a dangerous out for a guy like Frankie. Longer, good ground game can submit you and then kind of just showed you some crazy uh, strikes to get you out of there. We just saw Sanhagen do that in uh, in his last fight, coming off of the Sterling loss, going in there against Marlon Marais and finning him, fi- uh, finishing him with a spinning kick. Is there uh, some extra danger here for Frankie that even though you want to press the pace, you want to do Frankie Edgar things, you want to box him, you want to be a cardio machine. I mean, Frankie's one of those guys where he can smell you slowing down. He starts to speed up even more. Is that going to become a potential where he's going to walk into something here against a very vibrant guy with variety and angles and a lot of stuff going on in Sanhagen? So it's so hard for me to answer. It's like, yes. I mean, the thing is, we both know Frankie likes to keep a pace and he he can do it for five rounds across three different weight classes. Like that's really what he's good at. So I don't see that changing. What the question you have to ask yourself is, is Sanhagen smart enough to set traps for him? And I suspect that he is. I suspect that he will have him have see a certain look. Frankie will react to it and then he'll walk into some kind of trap. Now how devastating a trap, I don't know. It may just be, you know, a small little body shot, uh, you know, to skim off the top of the head. I don't really know exactly how that's going to go, but that that's sort of the the game that I think Sandhagen's going to be playing. Not so much counterfighting, although I think they'll be part of that too. Edgar likes to be the one who is backing his opponents up. Didn't work against Jose Aldo, but again, that was part of the takedown threat that well he couldn't really establish. So I don't really think of it on those terms exactly. I think that what Sanhagen's going to want to do is bully back eventually. The thing that really gets me here, BC, is we don't talk. We haven't talked about this. 
This could easily be a fight night main event. Very easily, but it's not. It's only three rounds. If Sanhagen gets taken down in the first, dude, you cannot let that happen in the second at all. Because remember, Edgar is a black belt on the ground. He can hold people down because of his wrestling background and obviously his MMA skills. He can pass. He can submit. Look what he did to Cub Swanson. Dude, he's got that in his arsenal. You cannot fuck around. And after what happened between Sanhagen and Sterling, I'm not saying Sterling and, and Edgar have the exact same abilities on the floor. I'm just saying, you know, that's the thing you've got to watch out for. To me, dude, again, this whole thing is going to hinge on the takedown because if it's on the feet, you would imagine, if not at first, eventually, Sanhagen's going to get his pound of flesh. It's, it's where else the fight is going to go and for how long it's going to go. I think that's what's going to separate it for me. Yeah, and look, I mean, let's talk about Frankie Edgar. I mean, how much more do we have to puff the bag? How about we puff it even more here, Luke? For a career that has gone over so many different weight classes and you have somebody who's sort of been elite the whole time. Like, I, I can't remember a time as an MMA fan, Luke, where Frankie Edgar was not considered a super elite. He's never been submitted in a fight. So that shows, you know, when you're constantly looking to fight the very friggin' best all the time, he never even got caught with something. I know there's been two stoppage losses in his last five fights, but, you know, that can happen. He's always fighting killers. So uh, he's going to be a tough as, as hell out on the ground if it goes there. And it's interesting from what you said. Could have been a five-round main event under any and every circumstance. In fact, a lot of ways, it, it really should be. I mean, it's, it's too good for this main event. But this might favor Frankie in a three-round window to have no reservations on fighting 32-year-old Frankie Edgar Pace, you know, 28-year-old Frankie Edgar Pace rather than 39, 40-year-old. So that is a very interesting subplot if you like the idea of Frankie's experience making him a live dog. I still, oh, it's hard, Luke, right? It's hard because I love Frankie, but I always bet against him when he's old. You know, there's a, you, you, you always feel like you have enough reason to. As much as I want to talk myself into it here and as much as I was feeling it, right? After he beat Pedro Munoz, it was like a victory for us and him. Him first, but we got to enjoy it, Luke. That was Pedro Munoz. This is Sanhagen. This guy's a killer. This guy might be the best in the division for all we know. The the weird and odd Sterling loss notwithstanding. Right, but but here's the thing: Does he have an Achilles heel? Does Sanhagen is that how? Mm. We, again, the thirty percent is overstated. It's not really uh, really representative of how good he is either on the floor or getting up off or even stopping the takedown. It's it's a little bit overstated because he's so loosey goosey with it sometimes that you know he'll let a guy get it and it'll pop right back up. So it doesn't really mean anything. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's double it. Even if you doubled it, you're still at 60%, which is barely in the ballpark of what the elite fighters do. Like, even then, you got an issue. So to me, man, it's like, <laughs> do you have an issue with guys who can, in a grappling context, attack you quickly, you know, who have explosive wrestling, explosive back-taking, explosive positional achievement? Are those guys trouble for you? Frank Yeager might tell us the answer to that. Because it's like Sterling is Sterling. It's like, okay, man, that dude's just a beast. He got your back. It wasn't your day. And you, and you fought a tough bastard. Edgar is a little bit slower, a little bit longer in the tooth. If you also have problems with that, that might be a broader issue. Or Sanhagen stuffs it and he beats the fuck out of him and none of this is relevant. I guess we're going to have to see. Yeah, takedown is going to be the first and foremost key. Can't wait to see what... You know, because with Frankie pushing that pace, we're going to see everything that Sanhagen has from a countering perspective, from an adaptability perspective. Should be a great one. Good God. This, I don't mean to sound like Canadian people here, Luke, but this is the people's main event. This is it. I'm, <laughs> I'm in. All right? I'm in. Uh, Luke, 
the card don't suck around it. So why mm-hmm. don't we focus on any specific matchup that's jumping out to you? When I see lightweights, Michael Johnson and Clay Guida, look, I pop, right? Old guys, big names, been through the wars. Uh, roll the dice one more time, fellas, and give me a hashtag old guy fight, right? Come on. Yeah, I don't really care so much about that one. It's fun to see what's left of Michael Johnson because Michael Johnson has the weirdest resume. He's like he's like he's obviously skilled. He obviously trains hard. You know, he you know he doesn't come in with weight issues. To my, I mean, maybe he's had one along the way or something. But you know, in general, a, a consummate professional and has good wins over like legitimate guys, and then has these terrible losses that he just gives away in the last minute. I don't know what to make of that. But the one I really got my eye on, there's a bunch of them. the Pantoja and Cape fight is one. Uh, Stamen and Asker is another one. Uh, Askarov, excuse me. But the one I got my eye on, BC, it's in the lightweight division. Carlos Diego Fajeda taking on Benil Dariush. Boy, that one is that yeah. one is excellent because you've got the guy. It's two dark horses, something in that uh, like that in that division. In Carlos Diego Fajeda, a guy who was you know a good UFC level fighter, but nothing too special. He got right in his career. He got better over time. He got with Saif Saud at a Fortis MMA. He's cleaned up his game and really given him purpose, direction. The, all the things he needed to make the most out of himself, and he ran through Anthony Pettis like it was nothing. So I'm really curious to see what his upside is. And then Benil Dariush, you know, a guy who had a big name for himself in the jiu-jitsu world with the Dariush guard and um, you know, trains out of uh, uh, with, with the uh, Kings MMA and um, you know, has just this aggressive style when he wants it, sometimes to a fault, but usually it comes out on the better end of things. Two guys who are skilled on the floor. Two guys who are experienced in the UFC. Two guys who show you, like, you got to get well past this point to get to a UFC title. And these two guys are absolute fucking barbarians. Dude, so nobody's talking wait. about this fight. And nobody's talking about Darius being on, you know, a five-fight win streak against, like, the Drew Dober, Drakkar close-level guys. But he's coming in confident and ready. I mean, that guy can push the pace if he has to and make fun fights. Uh, is Fadeda some kind of weird dark horse for this division? I don't know, Luke. This is a good-ass fight. This should be the prelim main event. But, you know, I don't make the cards. You know what I mean? Whatever. Luke, you had mentioned before Michael Johnson, who's 34, by the way. I, le- I looped him in the group of old guy fights with Guida, but it's 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 because he's kind of at that crossroads with so much, you know, heavy damage had facing all killers. Uh, it is a bit of a referendum, but Michael Johnson's coming in, not just on a three-fight losing streak, Luke. He's lost... Eight of his last 11 coming in, which is insane. Insane because it's pretty much all top-level competition from, you know, Dariush and Nate Diaz to Habib, Justin Gaethje, uh, Josh Emmett, etc. But yet in between, he's got a knockout win over Poirier, he beat uh, Andre Feely. And before that stretch, dude, you talk about four straight impressive wins. Joe Lozon, Gleason Tebow, Melvin Gillard, and Edson Barbosa from 2013 to 2015. I, I can't I can't tell you somebody else who has a resume like that and who along those ways with multiple patches of three fight losing skids that we still had this much respect for. Because you just know when he's on, he's on. You just know. You know. Even on those losses, when he lost them, he faded late, right? But when he came out in the first round, how did he look? Usually pretty good. <laughs> Usually. Usually he comes out in fast hands. He's moving his feet. He, you know, he's on weight. Like, there's no drop off there. It's as, as the fight goes on. There's the drop off. And Guida's not going to be tired, but he's got some tread on the tires. If you know what I'm saying, like he's he's not the same kind of fighter he once was either. So this is an interesting matchup. I like the UFC matchmaking behind it. But Michael Johnson's weird, man. He's weird. He's got all the ability in the world. It seems like just you know he's got he's you know who he is. 
Sometimes he's like Chuck Knobloch from the, the Yankees trying to throw to second. If you guys don't know the reference, there was this guy back in the aughts. He played second baseman for the New York Yankees. He was a good player. And let's say there was a ground ball hit to second, so between second and first base. He would field it, no problem. He would turn to throw, and he would throw that bitch into the stands. <laughs> and he'd be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Throw it 15 feet to the first baseman. something a child could literally do. And he would basically explain, he like he had to go see a sports psychologist because he couldn't understand why he was just chucking the shit into the upper deck uh, when it was just the easiest, most simple play right in front of him. I feel, had, I feel like maybe he he's had, our Chuck Knobloch. Yeah, he had whiskey dick of the arm, you're saying? Very similar to uh, former Mets catcher Mackie Sasser in my youth. The same issue, Luke. Uh, hey, in this preliminary main event, though, I like Mike Rodriguez, the light heavyweight. He's starting to become one of those guys where it's like win or lose, I got to watch. I know it has nothing to do with the wacky area code tats on his chest too, Luke. He makes wars. He's in there with Danilio Marcus. Do you have any love for this guy? I know he just got subbed by Ed Herman, which doesn't ring well for his long-term future. But uh, Rodriguez was a guy out of the Lazone camp, and Jojo uh, Lazon, and he looked really good on Contender Series. Didn't quite have the UFC run that I think was expected of him, you know, despite having such a brilliant debut on Contender Series. But to your point, very athletic, um, and, yeah, to an explosive to an extent. Um, I do think highly of him, but you're right. He has he's flashed brilliance and then kind of underperformed at times, maybe through some defensive errors. It, it'd, be, it'd be curious to see how much he's cleaned some of that up. Yeah, he's a sneaky must-watch guy where you see him on the card where it doesn't matter the opponent. So uh, maybe that's why he's in that prelim main event. But he's going to need some wins here to get taken seriously. Luke, uh, let's roll on into the other headlines of the week, unless you wanted to talk about, like, Molly Meatball or anything on that undercard, Luke. No, I mean, I'll, just say, uh, I'll just say it's a good card. It's worth watching. Uh, the one thing to mention on the prelim prelim is the debut of Timur Valeev. Valiev, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but this is a dude on the regional scene who was, you know, making a ton of – not regional scene, but I should even say uh, PFL – um, World Series of Fighting was making a ton of noise, and uh, he obviously made his debut against Trevin Jones, and it was you know um, somewhat controversial and 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 didn't go to plan. This one I think is coming together a little late, but I still I still think quite highly of him. And Cody Stammen, uh, his featherweight opponent is Askar Askar, not to be confused, Luke, with flyweight title dark horse Askar Askar. Yes, you're right. You know, Sorry, I almost dead wrong to myself. Good call, thank uh, you, Luke. You know when in Hollywood when like. Uh, I don't know, for maybe SAG card purposes, people have to like add an initial to their middle name or, or what, you know, like Michael J. Fox, right? Just so he doesn't, you're not confused with some producer named Michael Fox. Can we do that with some of these? Because there's a lot of Magomed, Magomedov type guys where it's like so close, I'm like butchering it every time, right? Just add a name to the end of it, like the dude from the PFL who's really good. Magomed, Magomed, Karamov. Okay. We got the Karamov at the end. I can I can work with that. I need Magomed a little something. Sharapov. There we go. I like that. All right. Brian Campbellski. See that'll not. So now no one's tweeting me like thinking I'm the defend defenseman from the Sabers, right? I mean, come on, you know, Luke. Luke, is there There's any a other? Luke Thomas, who by the way plays in some kind of English, uh, not not the Premier League is the top tier, but it's like second or third tier. I think he plays like second or third tier soccer, and everyone tweets me every time he fucking makes a goal. It's like great. You guys know I don't give a fuck, but okay, thank you. A, a flying one. Like that, yeah, like, like, yeah, okay. Hey, let's roll on here. Uh, Luke, uh, it's not Social Justice Wednesday, but uh, people are chirping on the old interwebs, and it is getting 
people fired up for a fight. So Nate Diaz, uh, which is kind of a shot in the arm to my whole, hey, Nate Diaz as a lightweight title contestant is awesome. No one will hate that. Turns out a lot of people hated that. First of all, Luke. But second of all, it went against a, a post that Nate Diaz made the same day, uh, basically kind of announcing I'm ready to come back at 170, which would make more sense in this situation. He put out the pick. Come get come get you some of the real with the fist. What's it and, say above that? Uh, NDA soldier, 170 pounds. Non-disclosure agreement soldier. Nick Diaz Academy? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Nick Diaz Army? Nick Diaz Army, right? Yeah, I think that's right. All right. Well, he did get a responder, a first responder, a man by the name of El Kakui. Luke, how much did this move your loins, brother? All you do is bitch out. You don't want no squabbles from a real fighter. 170 or 155, sit down and shut the F up, casual. Luke, did he, did are, he send this to Nate? The, uh, he he re- It was a reply to the tweet. Uh, oh. Them are fighting words, Luke. And wow. I mean, you know, I'd take Connor Ferguson. I know you were also big on, on a, you know, Connor's comeback fight. Should be Tony and it'd be fantastic. But Nate and Tony is just reckless violence, Luke. Yeah, I don't hate that fight. Um, in many ways, it makes sense since both guys are coming off of losses. But... You know, you just have to feel like what's going to get Nate to compete. At is it going to be that? Maybe, maybe it would be that. I tend to think it would not be though. I tend to think that's not the kind of fight they're looking for. They're looking for someone who's on the upswing. Remember, they the Diaz's love being the ultimate B side. That's what they like. They love nothing more than to be the Pacquiao to the Mayweather or the Canelo to the Mayweather. That they prefer that position. You do the heavy lifting. I don't know that Ferguson gives him that, even though, you know, could, is the fight going to be good? Yeah, I mean, there's no denying the fight would be tremendous. But I, I, I don't know. I'm skeptical that's a thing he'll, he'll go for. So it's interesting. The, the people that didn't like my idea of, of all MMA fans being okay with, with that type of shoddy matchmaking given Nate the Dustin title shot next when he doesn't deserve it, their response, a lot of the responses were, are you freaking kidding me? You think Dana would ever, you know, give a chance for an undeserving Nate to have the keys to the kingdom? So that basically illustrates the idea that even more than cashing in on Nate's name, it would be important for smart matchmaking to say, like you said, let's instead use him to sacrifice him to somebody who can get the rub. Tony don't need the rub. Uh, you know, Dustin don't need the rub. Uh, you're right, Luke. Is there some, I mean, like, is, is it going to end up being Hamzat Shamaya versus Nate Diaz, to your point, eventually? <laughs> for that same reason, right? No, no, but I think it's like, you know, Masvidal, I think he's probably still looking for that one. Obviously, we know he wants the Dustin one. That's sort of still up there, right? It's like the Ferguson one, two losses in a row. Again, it's not that I think that's a big deal. I, I think the fight should be made tomorrow. I'd, I'd be totally okay with it. It's just like you have to think realistically, what could you what could you actually offer the guy to make him say yes, as difficult as that may be? Um, or, you know, you could just say to the UFC, well, maybe just offer him more money. That might work. Um, well, Luke, being friends with you once in a while, I do like to just check your pulse and make sure you're, you're real and you're breathing and you're not some, you know, shit spewing, angry mannequin. Um, can I please check your fighting soul for a second? We did kind of gloss over it. If you heard right now that they were making Ferguson versus Nate, would at the very least the real sloppy fight fan inside of you, like... Feel it like just start shadow boxing into the into the mirror. I mean, do you still have feelings, Luke? I know not, not, GSP not for this Habib one don't the, move not, not for this one in the way that you do. Uh, you asked me like which one would get me pumped. Uh, Adesanya Jones. That's what would get me like shadow boxing in the mirror. So something okay. like that. 
Um, I just I don't wanted to make sure that you know yeah. you're still there with us, Luke. Okay. I don't. don't get... I don't tend to, like you go to Cumberland Farms, and you know Nate Diaz versus Tony is still two elite fighters. Like that's not the fair comparison. But to your point about things like I don't get super jazzed about the weird end of the fight game in the way that you do. I get jazzed about the very top tier, um, especially when it's realistic. You know. So okay. There you go. So I I get moved for like. Uh... You know, Jake Paul versus somebody. You get moved for two guys in a gi in Abu Dhabi rolling around. It's no, you get pieces, jazzed okay? for the the homely neighbor across the street. I get jazzed for a big bouncing Latina booties. It's a big it's a big difference between you and I. Okay. I like that's the called elite. girl next door. I like the elite. You like homely your neighbor. neighbor. A nice way to say homely neighbor across the street is you know co-ed girl next door. That's you know let's let's get it right here. Let's, solid. Right. You like solid fives. That's what you like, Luke. We do tend to say a lot. That nobody loses better than Conor McGregor, and I, and I think that's true. He's introspective, he's honest, he cuts right to the chase about what he thinks he did wrong and how he can improve it. Conor recently put out a multi-Instagram rant here explaining his loss to, to Poirier excuse me, after watching some tape. He says, some highlights from my last fight. What a trilogy I now have on my hands. Exciting. With a handle on the leg kicks, I will get back to having fun in there. I was in second gear cruising this fight. Best condition I've ever been in. But after the wrestling and clinch exchanges, my shots still held their pop. First time for me with this, so I am very encouraged to keep going. It was the first time I did not use or need the stool between rounds. Blah, blah, blah on that element, Luke. But he went on to basically... Um, Talk about this was the first time he's had his legs exposed to that level. It really affected him. He'd never felt it before. We can keep scrolling here. Anything else? Yes, it gets we get past that. He goes back to it. Thoughts on the bout. There you go. All right. I enjoyed racking up some time in the inside the famed octagon. 40 seconds in three years is all I have had up to this point. Uh, blah, blah, blah. All right. I'm losing my steam here, Luke. But he said, basically he says, Fair point to him losing this way when in his mind he was using this fight as a setup for a boxing match against Pac-Man. I deserve to get the leg kicks off me going in with this way of thinking. This is not the game to play around with. Besides this, though, my shots were sharp. I was in full control, albeit the leg attacks were building up on me throughout the course. Uh, extensive stuff on there. He gives credit to Poirier for the finishing uh, fury. Now, look, Luke. Uh, we get to, to to talk about this because it's Connor, right? We probably wouldn't care as much for James Vick, who, oh, by the way, did put out, I don't think we have it, but a very sort of humble and sober and emotional retirement speech, mm. kind of breaking down how the game passed him by in some ways. But, Luke, um, do you take this, since we are doing it, as Connor understanding what happened, looked deep inside of himself, was thinking too much about big money boxing against Pacquiao, and, you know, had his blinders on to the idea that Poirier could do this to him. Yeah, I find it just a little weird, you know? Like, I can't believe he used mixed martial arts to fight me. It's like, word? You know, like, that's what you... You're surprised by that? I don't I don't know. I found that a little weird. The thing that was off-putting for me was, you, do, I do, you know, you couldn't read it and come away... At least I didn't, BC. But you, I didn't come away reading it being like, well, this guy is totally checked out from the fight game. I, I didn't get that. I did not get that impression, or at least... I could not declare to you that that was the real interpretation that you should actually have. But I will say, because, you know, you have to scroll through and scroll through and scroll through because uh, half of that shit was just an ad for some fucking spray he's hawking. You know what it reminded me of? And I said this on my live chat yesterday, which was, it just reminded me. I'm not saying that it is, but I'm saying here's what it felt like. 
it felt like reading the post or the YouTube video or whatever of a famous influencer who was going on some vacation at some hotel and was promoting the hotel because they were getting a free night stay. Like someone who was living this wafty, vacuous existence whose, whose purpose was none other than you know, uh, popularity for popularity's sake and glorifying products to get money. And there was really nothing else rooted beneath it. I- I'm not telling you that's the case. I don't, I don't know that that's the case. If I tried to, I would be lying because I don't have any proof about it. But I am saying when I read it, I'm like, dude, this felt like an influencer trying to sell me some shit through their bullshit, you know, lives. And I did not, I did not come away with the feeling that like this ate at him or he understood well, the wondered- gravity of it. You know, that kind of thing was weird. Sometimes I have, you know, conversations with my wife about our family and our life and our future and stuff. And I'll say things and she'll always hit me with the same counterpunch of, are you telling me that for me or for you? And I'm wondering if this is Conor McGregor putting all this stuff out there more for him to try to make. Okay, I figured it out. See, I'll show you. I figured it out. I'm going to be fine. Yet I don't love this. I love humility. I love going right to the microphone after a loss and saying it was on me, but I, I feel like I, I see where I can fix it. I'll be back in the gym. You'll see again. Right. I, that's, that's great. Actually. Right. That, that in some ways instantly restores some of the value that you just lost for taking a loss. I didn't like when he did this same thing after the Habib fight, I thought he was a little bit too, too giving us too much, like showing us a little bit too much behind the curtain. Like I almost wanted to be like, you know, I apologize to nobody and I'm going to come back and knock out the next guy. It was almost a little bit like, Oh yes, I did this wrong here. Oh, I wasn't prepared enough here. Oh, I wasn't here. Like, I don't know. Don't show us that side. Don't go too far with this. And it, cause when you do Luke, it looks a little bit desperate. And now I'm starting to, it makes us start to go while he has a, a great fighting spirit an all time, great fighting spirit. And the, and part of the, our analysis and the aftermath of the loss. Oh, by the way, is whether that fighting spirit is still there and at the same level due to the fame and money he's achieved. But does he have the, the fight IQ? Do we give him too much credit for that? Is this an expose of like, like you just said, Oh, revelation. He beat M- He used MMA to beat me. He used calf kicks. To beat me, fair play to the fair play to the old bloke. I was thinking more about hitting Manny with a left cross for eighty million. I mean, does this kind of ex- expose him as like, you know, you you white belt IQ having mother effer? No, I mean, he's on. got high IQ. He's he's not. He wouldn't lose IQ over this. You either have it or you don't. I mean, you can develop, be nurtured to an extent, but no, I think he has it. Here's the thing for me, BC. I, I might we might need to rethink it. And I'm using listen to the words I'm saying. Might might. Because I don't, you know, you're, 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 the problem with the fight game is you don't have many things upon which to draw a sample size. You have very, very narrow samples, and so it can lead you in the wrong direction very, very easily. So you do need to be careful about any kind of conclusion that you draw. That doesn't fit for the hot take world that we live in, but it is the truth. So here's the thing that I'm thinking: it, you know, we we saw him have this kind of elder statesman, calm and collected role against Cowboy, and he went and ran over Cowboy. All right. And then he had the calm and collected role against uh, Dustin Poirier, and he got steamrolled. I don't know what that means, but I will tell you that one idea I am entertaining is that maybe we do need to rethink this like calm, calculated McGregor is just as good as the one who was full of vinegar and piss. I'm not so sure that that's true. Now, here's what I mean. I would like to see him against a right-handed opponent. I would like to see if he brings back some of these other weapons. I would like to see what lesson he actually learns from this. And, and you know, we can, we, 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 I just want more information upon which to draw a conclusion. But I think you and I were a little bit dismissive of the idea that he has to go out there and talk shit to win. 
And it's like, I don't know that he needs to do that, BC. I, that he has to blah, 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 badger people. But maybe the reason he badgered people was because he was so laser-focused on a goal and so committed to it. That was the natural symptom of the larger purpose. I do wonder about whether that has cooled a little bit. Look, I, this is a great. I love this discussion. I love, even if people think we're, we're not qualified or shouldn't waste our time with this, I love sometimes when our role becomes that armchair psychologist to try to figure it out. The best comparison I can make is the guy we mentioned, Manny Pacquiao. Luke, um, when he used to gamble and womanize on the side in that initial run through, you know, featherweight, lightweight, 140, initially getting to, to welterweight. He was a steam train. He was ridiculous, Luke, okay? Manny Pacquiao was a tropical storm of energy and punches. And then, and this is a documented story that's true, on the way to the ring for that 2011 trilogy, the third bout with Juan Manuel Marquez, all reports seem to indicate and have been confirmed that his wife stopped him and confronted him about his infidelity, Luke. And he went out there that night. I don't know if you remember that third fight. Uh, Manny came out with a different strategy. He tried to counterpunch in the beginning. Marquez took what a lot of people thought was a huge lead on the cards. Manny rallied late, comes away with a draw. It's very controversial. I'm sorry, not a draw. Um, Or was that the... Either way, whether it was Manny winning closer or was a draw, the whole point was everyone had thought Marquez had won, okay? From that point on, Luke, Manny was the, you know, Bible-toting guy and save for that fourth fight with Marquez, where Marquez just pulled the old warrior out of him and it led to Manny getting flatlined, I never saw again that same guy. So, I mean, it's a little ridiculous to say, hey, Manny, can we go back to shooting dice? Can we go back to, you know, nightclubbing to find the animal again? I mean, people change, people evolve. It's not as easy as that. But I didn't see a Manny Pacquiao who was willing to destroy people anymore after that fight. To your point, maybe Connor needs to... Stir the pot more looking across the table to get the most out of him, Luke. It's interesting. Or, I, I mean, I don't know if it, 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 that would be like trying to reverse engineer the point I'm trying to make. Like, does that bring back the fire? I don't know. What I'm saying is if you have fire, these other things will get burned. I don't know if you can just burn those other things and then get back the fire. It, 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 it doesn't work quite the same way. I mean, I mean, I mean may, it may not. I don't know. What I'm just what, what I'm wondering is you? say again. Oh, after you, no, finish. Uh, then I'll then I'll jump. Just again, I'm just wondering. It's like, can you be c- the calm, cool elder statesman McGregor and compete at your very best? We've only really seen it for two fights. It's not a lot of evidence upon which to make a bold conclusion, but I do think it's at least worth paying attention to. All right. Well, I do. Uh, I think that's smart. I do sometimes dip my toe into the conspiracy space, Luke. Okay. Yesterday, I largely had a day off. I was chilling. I even threw on the Luke Thomas live chat that you oh, do. Oh shit. Luke. For a couple minutes, checked in, right? You you were talking about us and our relationship. It was great. You know, you were very nice to me. I was like, man, this guy's really nice. What a great partner I have in this life. That's right. Uh, you see, I am nice. I was reading one of the comments, though. This guy has an interesting take here, Luke. His name is uh, Do You See What I See Productions, okay? This is just a generic comment aimed at probably conversations you had during the chat. I find it hilarious that all you fight analysts can't seem to put a finger on why Connor's trash talk has declined. It's not because he's all grown up and he has evolved past the trash talk. So he picks fighters that won't trash talk to him because he doesn't want to have the fighters bring up how he punched an old man or how he did this or that to women. Connor's on a leash because he needs his opponents to be respectful so the world can forget about his issues outside the ring. Luke, end quote, I know that sounds trolly, and I know your natural reaction is to be like, all right, yeah, sure, right? 
Do you think there's any element of truth that some of this is a PR campaign? No, that's a very stupid point that that person made, which is why I tend to not listen to those kinds of things. I have almost zero confidence in the idea that what he's trying to do is just head off PR conversations. Uh, I tend to think if you want to play the dozens with Conor McGregor, you're going to fucking lose. Um, it's just that I I don't know that he has that kind of thing in him anymore. I don't think what he's trying to do is get them to say nice things about him. Well, he needs um, a dance partner too, Luke. You do need a dance partner that brings it out of you. Yeah, and also it's like you know the guys he fought, Cerrone and... And Poirier, I mean, are they going to be the kinds that really drive the, the the sword into the heart of him? Maybe Cerrone if he got bitter enough, but Poirier doesn't seem like... Poirier was assiduously not trying to do that kind of a thing. So, no, that's a very dumb point. Okay. All right, fair. At least, at least this crazy man had his say in court right here. So that's right. I, that's he got his say. We got to that's evaluate his idea in the court of ideas, and I hereby rule it to be, uh, you know, this is the Dominion voting machine's uh, are responsible for Hugo Chavez influenced election overturning level of stupidity. Bonk. Uh, Luke, we got a couple quick hitters in the news cycle. Want to want to tickle your fancy hair? See if you're moved by them. How about this for May? A proposed send off fight for the great Diego Sanchez, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Yeah, Luke? I saw that. Yeah. Um, I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it. They had beef before. Cerrone, I think, is very much on his last legs as a professional. Uh, we all know that's, I mean, uh, Sanchez in similar position, I think is a nice way to put it. And, um, you know, there's a story to be told there with both of their careers at this point. I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it at all. And, and, you know, this is the thing about, like, retiring in the UFC. Even as long in the tooth as Cerrone is, he's still not an easy guy to beat. Like, you're going to have to be good to do it. That's a tough fight to go out on, dude. There's a very real possibility Cerrone could fuck him up, you know? I mean, obviously, Diego can win, too. I, mean, I don't want to preclude that as a le legitimate possibility, but equally legitimate, if not more so, would be Cerrone really going in there and embodying him. Boy, that's a tough way to make a living on the way out the door, man. That is this is very, a great fight. This is difficult. great matchmaking, dude. This is senior division matchmaking at its finest, and I know it's a retirement bout, but it makes it, it's just perfect. Luke, this has quasi potential, and their chins would have to hold up to be a poor, poor, poor man's Griffin Bonner one, right? Just both of us are it. We made this may be our last night here. Let's leave it all right here, Luke. Yeah, but those guys weren't at the end of their runs. No, you know. not. Not not in terms of themes, but in terms of the result. Yes, I mean, uh, it may, you know, you're not getting the very best Donald Cerrone, probably, and you're probably not going to get the very best Diego Sanchez. Still, the thing about this one is you still may get enough to bring some dog out of both of them here, given the bad blood that they've had and the history that they shared. You, you, you never know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go immediately, you know, towards, uh, oh, this is a car crash I have to watch versus... Eh, this could be something a little more elegant than that. We'll, we'll have to see. All right. Uh, Luke, unbeaten rising star in boxing, Teofimo Lopez Jr. He's got three of four or four of four lightweight titles, depending how you <laughs> how you deal with this BS uh, uh, alphabet game. Uh, it looks like his next opponent is rumored to be April or May, a mandatory defense. Luke, when you have a lot of titles, they make you have a lot of mandatories against unbeaten George Cambosos Jr. I realize that's a name that doesn't leap through your screen, but he is 19-0 from Australia. White dude covered in tats up and down. Has some pretty good wins in terms of climbing the ladder to get to this point. Uh, this could be a fun fight, but because it doesn't scream 
sexiness because this is what we do in boxing. Uh, are you okay with this? You feeling this at all? I'm looking at his tattoos. Yeah, he's got a lot of what I what I call black and gray athlete tattoos. Um, wings, a lot of Jesus on the cross, clouds, that kind of a thing. Uh, no, there is nothing more perfunctory than mandatory bouts in boxing. Nothing is less needed and more worthless than the bouts they call mandatory. So if he's got to do it, he's got to do it. Are you asking me if I'm excited? No. Lopez should absolutely demolish this guy. Uh, I'll be I'll be excited to watch the fight, but yeah, that's how it works in boxing, unfortunately. Uh, Luke, we had a little bit of uh, uh, near fisticuffs here Thursday. This is all ahead of tonight's Friday night BKFC <laughs> Knucklemania pay-per-view. It's Paige Van Zandt. It's Britain Hart. Let's go to the videotape. Knucklemania main event. 125 pounds in the women's division. Paige Van Zandt and Britain Get the fucking rules right before you come into the fucking game. How about that? Get the rules right. I will touch you first tomorrow. <laughs> Luke, to quote Bretton Hart, get the effing rules right. <laughs> get the effing rules right, Luke. This is BKFC. It ain't MMA. There's no effing choking, biatch. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, David Feldman get in the middle of that, the BKFC promoter there. Uh, Luke Britton Hart, just if you're wondering, is one and two in BKFC. Does have a split decision loss, though, to, uh, one, uh, what's her name? What's her, what's her face? Beck Rawlings. Beck Rawlings, who, is that the same person that, um, that, uh, Paige did the jumping switch kick, switch kick KO in 2016? Yes, Mm mm-hmm. Okay, so you're you. It's not crazy to think, obviously, if uh, Paige wins this, that's maybe the next long-term pay-per-view battle we're building toward. But Britton Hart has a pro boxing career as well, Luke. She's four, four, and three, including two wins over opponents with a combined record of zero and ten. Uh, she's scrappy. I've watched some tape. She's got a quick jab. She will have a height advantage over Paige. When it's all said and done, I know you don't care. I know that. But uh, is is Britain Hart a live dog here? I I tend to think not. I tend to think that BKFC, obviously, the guy who runs it, Dave Feldman, is actually a pretty smart guy, and I think has a decent sense uh, for you know what combat sports realities are and and how to navigate the space. He's actually a pretty bright dude. Um, I tend to think that they're giving her a fight that she can win. But again, it's like the Connor thing. It's like. You know, is she all in this? Did she train? Like, did she take this fight seriously at all? I mean, she made weight. Okay, that says, says something. Maybe. Maybe she goes in there and bludgeons her. But, like, here's the thing. If Hart goes in there and wins and Van Zant looks listless, you know, could you really be like, wow, dude, that's shocking? You know what I mean? Like, you could never yeah. be that way. You could never be in a position where you're like, I just I can't believe that. Of course you can believe that. She's she was, you know, okay in the UFC at best. And now she's out and she has all of these opportunities to do things outside of the octagon or outside the cage or ring or whatever that you would understandably, you know, say provides a distraction. And here she is a BKFC probably expecting to just waltz over these jabronis. This person didn't take it that way. Yeah, dude, I could I could easily see that and be like, "Yeah, it's, that's that's not surprising at all." 
Yeah, so here's what's interesting. I think the reason why we've seen more ex-MMA fighters than ex-boxers go to BKFC, which is in a lot of ways a boxing fight in a circular boxing ring, is because, Luke, there is allowed a level of MMA-style grappling and dirty boxing that you you don't see a lot of, which is interesting. So I went back and watched a little bit of Britton Hart against Beck Rawlings to prepare my preview story for CBS Sports. And, you know, Britton Hart was very successful, for example, of putting Beck in a headlock with one hand and bully-punching her with the other, which, again, is legal in BKFC. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean... You got Brayden Hart saying this this ain't MMA, you know, get the rules right. Well, if she uses some MMA tactics, it may help her beat Brayden Hart easily. I know, again, you don't care. Uh, this is, by the way, down the road. It's in Lakeland, Florida, not too far from Tampa where the Super Bowl is this weekend on CBS. So uh, trying to get the rub off of that. Um, yeah, Luke, that is what it is there. We'll see what happens tonight for old Page. Uh, also in the world of uh, wacky combat sports we teased about this on wednesday here's the face-off from rough and rowdy brought to you by barstool sports 56 year old jose canseco against 22 year old billy football who apparently luke is like a intern on the uh on the part of my take barstool pod uh here we go see i like this a lot more okay well i mean look you have discretionary income would you pay well is that uh was that a bk was that uh, what's that dude's name? Yeah, uh, PFT Commenter. Yes, it was. Yes. Would you drop a 20 spot for this then, Luke? No, but, God, look at that fat bastard. Jesus. <laughs> um, you know, there's something pure and honest about this. I mean, this is just, you know, like there's, there are, there are, there's the elite of the game, then there are the posers who try to pretend that the game is something other than what it is, and then there are the guys who are like, yo, this is just what you think it is. This is just carnival barking to the nth degree, no more, no less. I love the honest pitch in combat sports. I mean, more than anything, that's what I like. And so, uh, you know, Rough and Rowdy doesn't make any pretension about what it is. It's just two dogs. All right, but Luke, but to be fair, there ain't a ton of difference between uh, Jake Paul and Ben Askren than Rough and Rowdy. It's basically Rough and Rowdy. So what's your what's your issue here? Because it's a pro yeah, fight. And have you seen me say one nice thing about Jake Paul and Ben Askren? It's the same thing, though, as Jose Canseco and Billy Football. It really is, Luke, except for one's probably done in a bar, right? Yes. Again, I'm asking you, when have I said good things about these stupid-ass exhibition fights? You never have. I'm just saying you, you're saying uh, good things about Rough and Rowdy when this isn't Jake Paul and Ben Askren basically Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, but, but the, I mean, the difference is even there's a – no, but that's different because there's still a lot of pretension, right? The pretension is like, well, we have a world-class athlete in Ben Askren. Okay, but dude, Ben Askren's credentials are, I mean, they're amazing. But the guy's had a hip replaced. He's long past it. You know, it's just, it's hard to know, you know, what you're going to get here. And Jake Paul is using this to be like, well, if I lose, I lost to a UFC fighter, was a Dan Hodge trophy winner and two-time NCAA champion. If he wins, he's going to be like, here I am beating guys who were in the UFC just a year or so ago. You know, that's what he's going to do. He's trying to use it as a way to launder the fact that he is not a real fighter and to pe- getting people to think that he is one. There's total pretension about that. That's not true all right, at all. But at the end of the day, it's still shitty boxing, right? It's still, yes. it's still what it is. Grudge match celebrity shitty boxing at the end. Another uh, real thing quick, I also won't watch. A lot of people, when I, you know, when I interviewed Paige Van Zandt, an interview on Morning Combat, you can still check out on YouTube ahead of tonight's fight. Um, a lot of people were responding in the comments, you know, and being kind of rude of like, Paige, only fans and it won't be long till she's on only fans. Luke, she did make a big announcement yesterday that she's launching her own website, Paige 
fanzant.com, which I only could take it will be her own controlled version of like a pay for play site where you can get like exclusive access to her. I, I don't know the level. I don't know if it's only fans level, but uh, so it did happen, Luke, but at least she's entrepreneuring it. Your thoughts. I don't care. All right, it's great. It's good. Good talking to you. Okay, Luke, let's roll on. Final piece is uh, look, this Stephen A. thing. It, it didn't go away. I wanted it to go away. I don't. It's not even new to me. He's been saying this forever. But the thing that got a lot of people in uproar was uh, Stephen A. Smith becoming very transparent about his thoughts about women's sports and women's MMA in general, Luke. And uh, I don't even remember what platform he said it on. What the situation was. But he came out and said, you know, it's just not for me. You know, I'm not for women fighting each other, and I never have been. And, like, I do understand where he's coming from and where always has come from, Luke. He's always coming from the standpoint that, like, I love women. They're beautiful to me. They're, they're wonderful creatures. We're supposed to take care of them. I don't want to see them throw violence on each other. It's not that it's not lost on me, Luke, that in 2021, that is a very limiting sort of outlook on the role of women in society. And that's what kept this up where we're alive. Plenty of female uh, fighters and influencers uh, have jumped out, including Joanna Jacek re- uh, responding with this tweet that says, I appreciate your transparency, Stephen A. Smith, although I wish everyone at ESPN and throughout the world saw women's sports in a positive light. I assure you that we women don't need your support. Uh, to some degree, it's an interesting tweet because these are all kind of the same family with the UFC deal on ESPN, although uh, you know that's not really being thought of as much here, but it's still not the best look for ESPN. Where do you weigh in on this besides just saying, I don't care, Stephen A. shouldn't talk about MMA? Um, you know, it's a little bit complicated because the, he, the, he made the statements on some podcast. Again, I forget which one as well, so please forgive me. And then, like a day or two after it made news, it was like International Women in Sports Day, right? Where this day you're sort of celebrating um, the growth of women and and uh, and the, the side of sports that women are able to participate in, and, and um, certainly on the MMA side, it's a big component, right? Um, and so there, this was, you know, it all just sort of snowballed in that kind of a way, at least on our side of things. I mean, it's obviously a moronic opinion, and people have been like. You know, isn't he entitled to his opinion? Since when are people entitled to opinions and not feedback about them? Uh, boy, I, I haven't enjoyed that one at all. Uh, every opinion I give, uh, certainly positive or negative, gets plenty of feedback. Apparently, I'm not entitled to the same kind of hushed silence that Stephen A is entitled to about a retrograde fucking opinion that, you know, only an idiot could, could possibly... Only an idiot or an old person basically could possibly believe. And so... Kind of amazing how we want to extend to this guy silent reverence for an opinion that, yeah, we may or may not like, but he's entitled to, like, no feedback. No, fuck that. It's a but, stupid opinion, and he's a very, very uh, unintelligent man. Um, here's the, here's, look, the, listen, the only person him, who's like this is my dad, and my dad is 80. Uh, <laughs> you know, this is, this is who we're polling for contemporary sports takes. The only thing I have to say about it, BC, <laughs> is every time this guy parachutes into some large MMA show... He goes in there and gives either opinions that are true but boring or false but inflammatory, and then we do this whole thing over and over and over again. His, let me just say this one more time. His opinions on MMA, and I don't know, I don't know this about box, or, um, excuse me, about basketball. This may not be true there. I, I do not have enough to say about it on football or basketball or, or most team sports. But certainly when it comes to MMA, dude, the guy is not credible in any capacity whatsoever. He got something kind of half right, sort of, about Cerrone, and even that wasn't true. 
He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's there to make attention. He's there to give casual fans a reason to tune in. Although that's overstated as well. But you're not you're not wrong. Idiot. You're not wrong discrediting him or saying who cares? I get all that. But this this came off as an evolvement off of an earlier thing where he was saying, I don't ever want to see a man and a woman fight each other professionally. And his reasoning, Luke, was I don't want men to subconsciously think That's they not have what a license. He said. To- That's not what he said. He yeah, also said he doesn't want to see women fighting at okay. all in, in combat sports. That, but you, That's you're, not now true. you're misquoting me. I'm saying the comments about not wanting to see women fight in combat sports evolved out of the conversation in which he started with, which is I don't want to see a man and a woman fight because it gives people subconsciously the license to believe they can hit women. So if you think of it through that evolvement, is it completely outdated for him to say, I don't want to see two women fight each other because I love women? Like, is there any side where we're overblowing this from even what he said? You no, I mean, I think, you, I think you can say, um, you know, does it, do I find it as interesting and fun as the men's side of the game? Is it, you know, do I, do I, can I necessarily say that that's the thing that I love just as much? I've said on this podcast, I don't necessarily find women's boxing as interesting as the men's side. And there's lots of reasons for that. There's not as many. They don't get the same opportunities. Yeah, but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying, I don't want to watch women's basketball because it's not exciting. He's saying, I don't want to see two women hit each other. That's all I'm asking you about. You keep right. going around in circles. Fist it, Luke. Fist the question. So Answer what you, what are you it. Asking me, what are you asking me to respond to? Is it okay for a grown man in 2021 to say, I don't think women should fight because I don't like watching women get okay, hurt? So when and you fight say it's okay, what do you mean? He should. I'm not they, saying I think it's okay. I'm saying, should, are we overblowing this? Should Stephen A. Smith, as a grown old man, no. be allowed to say, I don't want to see women. Yes, of course. Get, be allowed. But what is this? This is this. See, this is the straw man behind the whole thing. Should he be allowed to say it? Dude, no one's calling for his job. No one's calling for him to be fined or suspended. No one's calling for any of that. We're just saying, hey, Boomer, you got a fucking stupid opinion about a sport you barely understand, and we're going to rightly tell you about it. That's it. This is a dialogue. This is a back and forth. If you put, And this goes for me. It goes for you. It goes for anybody. If you put opinions out into the world, the world has a right to do what it wants with it, whether you like it or not. And so, you know, listen, does he have a right to believe that? Sure. I don't think he should be suspended or fined. It doesn't even make him necessarily a bad person. It does mean he has dumb ideas about combat sports. That's what it means. All right. I was just trying to get your take on that, Luke. All right. Pardon my take, okay? Pardon your take, guy. You're raging a-hole. You know what, Luke? You're dead wrong too often. Let's create a segment where we go back on the record, Luke, and find out. Did you say Ronaldo or did you say Ronaldo? <laughs> okay, your mother effer. It's dead wrong time. All right, where we all right. let's let's see if these are actually wrong. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. Where we take a willing L for the sake of accuracy and uh, humility. Here we go. During the most recent room service diaries uh, episode, or home service, if you're in Brasilia, if you're in Brazil, uh, that's right. The, the caption says Luke and Brian are back for another episode of room service diaries the guys go tip to tip and answer all your questions but this viewer is saying um hey mk hey mother effers hey mikey mormile the producer who wrote this subhead you jamokes only answered two fan questions before that show went completely off the rails so luke are we dead wrong for false advertising here is this just bs waste of time semantics a little bit i think we are a little bit yeah because we did promise that we'd answer but then the questions were like uh, is Adesanya the fifth best middleweight if you really consider the rankings? I mean, it's like, can we ask a question about porn or music <laughs> or about beer? Can we do something fun? That's the whole idea. The spirit of the question should be, 
uh, the questions should be a little bit off the wall to match the spirit of the pot. Like, we don't go on room service diaries to talk about who our favorite flyweight is outside of the UFC. I mean, who gives a shit? It's not the point. Yeah, come on. When we, when we get together in the Havela for the home service diaries, it's going to go off the haves pretty quick. Well, off the haves. But, but, uh, but, but he is right, or she or he is right. We did promise that, so maybe we should tailor the promise the next time out to make it clear about what we're looking for. Yeah, we don't have a name. Not sure if he identifies as he or him. But uh, Luke, also, uh, I was dead wrong, apparently, on the Monday, January 2nd show of 2021, even though it says 2020 here. Luke and BC mentioned how Overeem, if he wins against Volkov, could potentially fight Curtis Blades again or rematch Derek Lewis. They're like, hey, guys, Overeem and Lewis have never fought before, so if they fought... It would not be a rematch. Luke, this is a call out to something I said, so I'm going to get Luke Thomasy in on them. I didn't go back and re-watch this, so maybe it was taken out of context, but I believe I was saying could potentially fight Curtis Blades again in a rematch or Derek Lewis. All right? Who cares? You know? That's not that big a deal. Yeah, what are we doing here? What are we, what are we wasting? We could be talking about the Pauls. What are we doing here? Uh, Luke, there's a... Uh, Person after you, okay? The gentleman doing the farmer's carry on the streets in the Have You Seen This Shit video is actually in the UK, not New York City, as you assumed. Possibly somewhere in London. This is due to the pavement markings signaling no loading in the UK. Plus, Content Bible is a UK-based Instagram page. Luke, those trash bags do not belong on this soil. A-hole? This is in London, not NYC. What, they can't have shirtless black guys in, in, uh, in England, Luke? I mean, come on. No, they got plenty. But uh, you're right. I didn't realize that London had the same trash problem as New York City. Yeah. Get, step, step your game up, London. Okay. Uh, one more. Uh, no, uh, two more here, Luke. Or maybe even three. Here we go. Uh, Tupac dying. I brought up uh, Bruce Selden's son, Isaiah, who lost in the, uh, on the PBC undercard to Joey Spencer last week. Brian Campbell said that Tupac was killed the night of Bruce Selden versus Mike Tyson in 1995. But in fact, Tupac survived six more days in the hospital before inevitably getting the invite to Thug's mansion. Uh, yeah, I will take the dead wrong if I said he was killed that night. I meant that he was shot that set up the kill. Uh, Luke, when we talk about 30 days of Showtime, there's some gems there. Have you seen that uh, Suge Knight documentary on there? No. Where, uh, I, you know what? I've been meaning to watch it. No, I've not, though. I'm, I'm behind. I'm behind. They go back to the scene of the crime. He's all kinds of liquored up. He's retelling the story. He has to pause and throw up on the street. I mean, it's wild. Um, it's an interesting walk through Suge's mind, but they get into that a lot. I was dead wrong. I will take that. Luke, always seeing, though, the... Um, Security footage inside the MGM Grand of Tupac running out after punching somebody. It's always wild, man. That's a wild night, you know? Where were you on that night? Do you remember? You must have been in high school like me. Yeah, we had the illegal black box, so I was no question watching a Mike Tyson pay-per-view with my dad. That's the, like, the only time we connected on sports was through Mike Tyson on the free pay-per-view box. <sighs> my dad doesn't even, like, doesn't even like that shit. Yeah. Unless... We, unless my, I, I, my dad one time invited me to a... My dad's like 80, but this was like five years ago. He's like, would you like to come with me to a lecture about Aristotelian ethics at uh, this local university? And I'm like, is this the only way we're going to talk? <laughs> I went. It was okay. It wasn't that bad, but I was like, Jesus. See, my dad would have been like, do you want to go to 7-Eleven? Okay, that, seriously, yeah. that's what would have happened, all right? Yeah, that's about it, bro. That's about all we got. 
Uh, Luke, uh, let's talk some Stipe here. We, I hope you're doing well, the message says. I wanted to take this opportunity to highlight what I'm sure was just a misspeak by Luke when he asked, added Stipe's name to the list of people who finished Alistair on the feet. Stipe, of course, Luke, after ah. tapping out, took Alistair down and KO'd him with the GNP. Will you Okay, so out? that's true. That's true. I think what got me on that one, though, is correct me if I'm wrong, see how the position here is where he's on his actual feet? Like... When I think of ground and pound, and this is not this is not correct, but in my mind, when I think of ground and pound, I think about having at least one knee down. But you know, if you think about it, Miocic, I believe uh, I could be wrong about this, but I believe Elise was on his feet, just bent over at the waist, punching, and so that confused me into thinking that like that's not ground and pound. But he's right; that would actually be a ground finish because the other person is flat on the mat like that. Yeah, I mean, no, you can get no, he actually go back, up, Luke. go back, go back to that last right. shot. He may have had a knee down, in which case it's not even relevant. Right, you can get laid standing up. It's yeah, doesn't see? have to be grammatically correct. I think, right? I think, I think he had. I, I, I couldn't remember if he had the knee down or not. Let's assume for the sake of argument he didn't. That's what I was thinking of. But in this case, it looks like he may have anyway. So dead wrong. That's fine. Dead All right, wrong. dead wrong. There we go. Uh, speaking of grammar, I got grammar hammered here, Luke. Uh, BC several times this week. You said the phrase in the ethos. Uh, ethos being a set of values or beliefs to describe a sentiment or a concept. The phrase your factory town stunted brain was scrounging around for is in fact in the ether as ether, in, yes. as in the third ingredient yes. in your Cumberland farms, hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> That was a good one. I'll take that. I'll take that out. That was a good one. All right, well done there. Same, same. That's a good one. That's a good one. See, that's right. that's what this that's what this segment should be. It should be shit like that. That was good. Yes. When I put it out into the ethos, I should eat eat drink more ether. All right, Luke. Um, check your Ethernet. Here we go. It's tip on tip time. Woohoo! Let's close the show with a bang. Every Friday we give you recommendation, something you should buy, watch. Maybe a, a bit of advice to somebody. Luke, would you show me mine so then I can show you yours? Um, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Tips. Show me your tip. Yes, I know that one. Yes. Uh, okay, so I will tweet this out once the show is over. So you can give me a follow at uh, L Thomas News on Twitter. I read this article. I like giving reading recommendations because I find them to be very helpful. Uh, I will tell you where it's at. It's from uh, in a, a place called The Cut. So The Cut is a, uh, I guess it's a news magazine. They have an article called, and again, I will tweet this out, but you can Google it. Um, I'll show it on my, on my phone here. Big goals can backfire. Olympians show us what to focus on instead. Uh, I'll put it on my thing. I don't know if you can tell or not, if it's visible. Let me back up a little bit so you can see here. Ah, it's still washed out. You can't see shit. At least not on the thing I'm looking at. But that's the... That's the front. It's from, the, I, guess, I guess, New York Magazine, but the cut is a part of it. Anyways, these researchers did some studies. I, w I will simplify it and make it as easy as possible to understand. What they basically said was, if you focus on some kind of big goal and you over-dramatize um, that that is the thing you have to do and only do, there's a decent chance you won't get it done. Or even if you do, you'll be unfulfilled. Remember Tyson Fury, BC, after he won the world title felt depressed and unfulfilled and didn't know where he was going anymore. This article talk, talks about why that's the case. It's because if you just have that, this big goal in mind as the way that you have to live your life, once you've done it, there's nothing left for you. You feel this immediate sense of emptiness. Marathon runners apparently get this pretty frequently at times. 
What they said was they had found that there are a lot of Olympians that understand the, the, the idea better. Yes, if you want to run a marathon or win a world title or whatever your goal may be, BC, get a promotion at work. You set the goal up as where you want to go, but then you let it go in your mind. And then what you focus in on is the day-to-day, moment-to-moment, piece-by-piece process. And there's two different kinds of getting involved with the process there. I'll leave that for the article. But they said overwhelming evidence shows, yes, you want to have goal setting, but you don't want to just do, you know, every day get up and hate your life and go through with the goal. And then you may reach it. It won't, you won't get out of this experience what you think you want. Set a realistic goal and then forget about it. And then focus in on falling in love with the day-to-day work that gets you there. Yes. The self-improvement incrementally that you uh, that you that you can master over time by doing the application of what you're supposed to be doing every single day every single day make that your actual focus and what you'll see is that one you'll get better long-term results and two once you get them you'll be much more fulfilled as a person and able to reset that goal to go for the next stage and the next stage and the next stage um, it was really illuminating the research is super interesting there's much more to it that I'm, I'm dramatically oversimplifying it but I found that to be, you know, really interesting. It doesn't matter if you're like us, BC, and you're on a weight loss journey. It doesn't matter if you're in martial arts and you're on a, uh, I want to get promoted to the next belt journey. It doesn't, it doesn't matter whatever it is. There's a right way, or at least a, I should say a better way to do things. This seemed really important and prescient. I enjoyed it. I will share it with you literally right now. I would love, this is brilliant. I think this is super important. This is what putting the focus back on the journey than the, than the destination in a lot 100%. of ways and how we, how we navigate life. And it's so friggin' true. It's why, you know, finally sport, like sports psychology is becoming such an important thing for elite athletes. Obviously how, you know, thanks to a guy like Mo Ronaldo with the Showtime Bipolar Rock and Roller documentary, we're, we're being much more open about our mental health journey. Luke, for, for quick, just to, just to point out why this is so true. So uh, I was at ESPN for almost 12 years, but the last four to five years specifically, Luke, I was getting opportunities to be on TV, to host podcasts, to write stories, to cover fights. And the experience was incredible, but I was constantly passed over for promotions, underpaid. You know, and Luke, that is a thing that can fuel you, right? Luke, I was fueled to the gills, renting a house I couldn't afford, trying to put food on the table for wife and kids on a very small salary in comparison to what I felt I was bringing to the table, right, Luke? So this all culminates into me working harder, harder. Harder, harder, taking on opportunities that would, you know, grow your brand and stuff like that and attacking them. And Luke, that fuel is, I mean, a lot of that fuel is what fueled Conor McGregor's rise, right? That fuel is addictive. It's insane. But you better make sure of a few things that you're doing it for the right reasons and that you love the journey, your craft. You love what you're getting there. Because you know what happened? I'll be really honest. I get signed by CBS Sports in 2017. Great job. First time I'm officially full-time you know, writer and on-camera guy, getting paid well and all that. Luke, that first year, I was depressed as hell. And it was like an eye-opening, like, I worked so hard to get here. And it's not like here sucks, but like what do I do now? What do I do here? And maybe it's because I was working from home full time for the first time in my life after being in an office for, you know, so many years. And that was sort of a hard balance to juggle. And it was a tough winter, all that stuff. But uh, Luke, that really woke me up to it, to be to an awakening on a few things. And, you know, I've pivoted and certainly found new goals and I'm really, you know, in a great place now, but you do have to watch that Luke, because you get there and uh, 
And uh, the Tyson Fury comparison is very apt, you know? Just uh, like, yeah, like, I, was, I was just trying to give people a reason. Like, you know, oh, you won all these world titles. You beat Klitschko. You should be on top of the world. But if you've lived your life in a way where you're trying to get someplace and then you get there and there's no more meaning to what you're doing, it'll send you into a tailspin. I, I understand that much better than I ever did before. And to your point, like every time, if I look back on my career, BC, I've made so much progress to get to the point that we're at now and I'm very grateful for it. But you're right, there's been times where I've been so focused on like, I need this. And then I get there and I'm like, this doesn't feel the way that I thought it would. Forget all that, forget all that. The process is, um, you know, develop more sources, learn more about the sport, write more, create more. And over time, if you fall in love with that, I often say like, you know, if you just fall in love with it, how many times do you know folks, BC, who are like, and this is a little bit more about burnout than anything else, but they just love the storylines and blah, 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 blah. And then they get yes. tired of them and they move on to the next thing. They don't really want to go back. To me, if you want to have a sustained relationship with combat sports, you got to fall in love with the fighting itself. You can enjoy the other stuff too. You can enjoy the, the, the press conferences and the craziness. That is part of it. There's no denying it. Of course that is true. But on some level, man, you got to still have a fire in your heart and your belly for just watching two elite you know, men or women, whatever the case, go out there and really put it on the line in this very dangerous yet brilliant and beautiful spectacle. Um, and to me, that's getting to the science of it. To others, it, they, they, don't, they don't have quite the same appetite. But that relationship, that one-to-one -one relationship, that is sustaining. You can do that over time. And I think for me, you know, learning about the tricks of the trade the best that I can and blah, blah, blah. Those are the kinds of things that will just get me to where I want to go rather than like, I need, you know, I need blah, 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 blah. Like for us, BC, we're trying to get to 100,000 subs. But if we just focus on that and not about the individual, this video needs to be right. And let's, let's work on this. Let's work on our content strategy. Let's get everything, you know, P's and Q's. It will feel unfulfilling once we get there. So well, it's also about, you know, shifting your priorities just to close on this because, you know, we, we always talk about sometimes, Luke, not making your job or your passion, your identity, you know what I mean? And what, you know, if you lost your job tomorrow, would you, would you spiral down into a deep depression because so much of who you are in your own mind is your platform and your followers and your success, you do have to check yourself no matter what line of work or whatever you're doing in that where, you know, am I chasing the thrill of affirmation the thrill of the paycheck, the thrill of the of the exposure and all that, or am I just doing this because I love it, right? You know, am I okay if this ends tomorrow? It's 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 just good conversation to have. I'm glad you brought that up, Luke. Good tip right there. I'm going to check that out. Uh, Luke, my tip of the week, I want to shout out the great people uh, at Fire Department Coffee. It's a company out of Illinois. They came on my radar because Stipe Miocic right now uh, has a his own distinct flavor here. It's called Stipe Miocic Extra Strength, Luke. They sent me uh, a bag, the FTC, the Fire Department, Department Coffee Company. Uh, this means a lot to me, not because I'm a Stipe super fan, although I've got a lot of respect for that guy and what he does in his free time, but uh, my dad's a retired 25-year vet in the fire department. His brother, my uncle, was a captain in the same department. So many of the kids I grew up with in the neighborhood or went to school with, their dads worked for the same force, uh, love what they bring to the table, and this is a company that was founded by ex-firemen right from every every from the 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 guys who uh pick the beans all the way up so want to support what they're doing uh this is the two times the strength extra strength steep a brand i've been able to sample it and luke it is twice the strength okay get ready bro you want to clean out that garage all right start hanging around with uncle Stepe. love what they're doing over there at the fdc i want to pick up some merch myself to uh to help them share that uh you know got a lot of love for the men that uh that risk their lives like that it's been great for my family so thanks for uh Stepe representing that it's a good product 
uh, doesn't taste bad either. It'll, it'll get you through the day, indeed. All right. Very good stuff. All right, Luke, that is our Friday show. Uh, should be fun this weekend, whether you're uh, more into page knuckling up tonight, little Canseco, little UFC fight night, or whether you're, uh, I don't know, Luke, I don't know what you're doing, but uh, hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, hopefully you can enjoy 30 Days of Showtime if you want to check out some great stuff that we talked about, the documentary series, uh, action, whether you're a Billions fan, whether you like boxing, uh, a lot of great stuff worth your time right there. Uh, Showtime.com, try it, right? All right. I mean, what are you going to do? Just freaking try it. Right. I mean, is it, is it too good for you? You, you too good for it? Well, you, you know, you can't, you can't wait. You can't download the Showtime app. All right. It's a label that pays me. Just try it. Mother effer. Uh, also, Luke, we've got merch. As we mentioned, please go to store.show.com. Put on a hat. Put on a sweatshirt. Uh, there are some rumors, Luke. 2.0 is, is, is on upon us. It's coming, Luke. Like, you can hear the rumblings in the distance. You can put your ear to the ground, Luke. The squirrels, the raccoons, they already know. They can feel it. The seasons are about to change. Are you ready for this, Luke? Donk I'm Army, are you? beyond ready. All right. A lot of fun stuff coming our way that you can support us at. So please do that. Like and subscribe on the video. And socially, please follow what we're doing there. At Morning Combat on Twitter and Instagram. Luke and I have our own channels, as you can see. A little bit different between the two apps. Luke Thomas News. I don't see you breaking any news. No, that's a stupid name, but I'm stuck with it. All right, all right, all right. Dance with who you who brung you here, or something like that, Luke. Yes. Uh, do you mind if we dance with yo dates? Yes, indeed. All right, uh, Luke Thomas. Um, do you have anything? A message to the people? Any? Anything? No, Wisdom? no, no. Um, you know, enjoy the fights tomorrow, and um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. All right, submit your questions, by the way, for Dead Wrongs for Wednesday fan submissions to morningcombat at gmail.com. Uh, the Morning Combat 2.0 documentary, The Doc. Yes, it's a good one. It's still in production. I'm getting daily, sometimes hourly updates from the fine folks there. Shout out to Less Than Jake, the documentarian. Luke, we could be a weekish away. It's coming, and people are really going to enjoy. Uh, again, going inside, getting your hands dirty, seeing how this sausage yeah, it's not pretty seeing how this sausage, how something, it's hard, goddamn work, making something this gross look this pretty, Luke, okay? 90s okay. reference counter. Thank you. I, sometimes I feel like I'm alone, Luke, in like a 90s uh, ethos, and I'm the only one listening to my own jokes, and uh, yeah. Yes. All right, this is a great marriage. Uh, for Luke Thomas, my name is Brian Campbell. Um your hose, let's keep them loyal, brothers, all right? May all your ex-lovers stay satisfied with two words for the people. We out.